Well, thank you for allowing me to, to preach and speak. It's a privilege, and I am very grateful that, uh, that Gordy and Kathleen and everyone have, you know, allowed me to do it, so thank you. Um, today's topic is discipleship and community, and I've subtitled it Moving Forward. Um, things will get clearer as we go, but there's one a little myth about community that I want to address right away. Um, community, community does not equal potlucks. Um, so I think when I first saw the topic, I was like, okay, that's why Gordy chose me to do this, because we have potlucks and people over for the playoffs. You know, that's usually short-lived. But um, nevertheless, here are some step-by-step instructions for hosting a potluck. Step one, email lots of people and invite them over for a potluck. All right, so that's it. Um, so if you, uh, if you get nothing out of this sermon and you still think, yeah, yeah, we had this great sermon about potlucks, that's how to do it. I encourage you to go have a potluck. Go invite people over. I mean, that's the basement-level community um, that if, if you want to start in the basement, call someone over for a cup of coffee and have a potluck, something like that. So, but that is not what we're talking about this morning. Moving forward, question mark. Um, why did you choose that subtitle? Well, what I want to do is develop a bit of an image uh, from the Old Testament. The, the preaching text is Joshua 1, 1 to 9, and that's um, basically the context for that passage is right before the people of Israel are going to enter into the promised land. Um, so the whole image is moving forward from the phase of being in the wilderness to entry into the promised land. I've heard a lot of, um, you know, amazing sermons on this kind of thing, but usually they're, they're stretched out and turned into a prosperity kind of message about, you know, take your promised land, you know, they're, they're driving your car out there and, you know, claim that check for Jesus because that's your money. They're, you know, I've got, I heard one guy say, I've got a money magnet anointing. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I don't think that's an anointing. So when you deal with the promised land, a lot of images come to mind like that for me because I've heard so many uh, sermons about it. Nevertheless, it is in the Bible, the promised land, and it is used in the New Testament as an image for the Christian life. So it's not something we should shun entirely, something we should actually look at and go, well, what does this mean? So um, that's the image that I'm going to be developing and, uh, yeah, I got a little picture here of the promised land. Yeah, going into the promised land. Joshua 1, 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Don, Moses' aid. Um, there are a few verses I'm going to jump in here and be like, okay, this is an important verse. Um, that's coming in a minute. But just pay close attention. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That was one of the important verses. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm imagining Joshua at this juncture in his life going, I'm without the leader that I've had for 40 years in the desert. And I've seen the Israelites and I don't know if I can handle this. The desert was bad enough. Now they have to, you know, go into the promised land and actually wage war. And I'm the leader. And God's saying, you know, I was with Moses. I'm with you. 
And I think for VEV, I'm hoping that some of this will be prophetic in nature. There's the transients. Yes, there's transients. People come and people go. But I was with this previous person, and I'm with this person now. When I'm gone, someone else is going to be here, and God's going to be with them. It's not like, oh, we're replaceable in our nature, but in our function, I don't have a problem with that. I think that God is very capable of raising up new people and new leaders, as evidenced in this text of Scripture, and it's nothing to be worried about. God is more concerned with fulfilling his mission than, than I think we're concerned about the people a bit too much. Be strong and courageous. This is another important verse. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. I looked it up in Hebrew, and it means to be strong and courageous. Um, be strong and very courageous, also in Hebrew. Be strong and very courageous, yes. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I, I did... I mean, I was speaking tongue-in-cheek a bit about looking it up in Hebrew, but I did read this in Hebrew, and that translation is a bit shallow. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. I'm not going to go into a Hebrew lesson, but there's a, a way that some verbs are um, conjugated, um, and it's called the hifil stem, and the hifil stem is about causation. So another translation, a more accurate translation would be, then you will make your way prosperous and you will cause success. So our obedience to the word of God creates success for us. And I think that's a very important point. If we're looking at our, our life, our church, our you know, we, we feel like things are out of control. We have no way of handling what's coming down the pike. I don't know what to do, Lord. Well, if you want great success in life, obey Scripture and you will create it. And that's not success, you know, the money magnet anointing or whatever. Just wipe that away from your mind. If you want to prosper according to God's Word, obedience to God's Word is the pathway to that. It's not about earning salvation or earning righteousness or anything like that. But if you think there's another way to enjoy the blessing of God besides obedience, I would love to hear what that is. So there you go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I'm going to read that one again. Have I not commanded you? commanded you. It's, a, it's an important thing. Be strong and courageous. This is the third time that it pops up. Be strong and courageous. It's not talking about physical strength. You know, I, I'm going to work out a lot and I'm going to be strong. It's talking about strength in God, spiritual strength, strength in obedience, and courage and faith to step forward in obedience. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. So do not fear. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So that's the, the text we're, we're going to look at, um, and I'm going to flesh out a bit for you. Hebrews 4 to 11, or 4, 1 to 11, pardon me, is, I, I've just put this reference up so that you realize that it's, uh, it's biblical to be talking about the Old Testament, and it's particularly the promised land. Um, this passage talks about the promised land and the Sabbath as two former shadows of what it means to enter into God's rest. And that is fulfilled totally in Jesus Christ. So that is our promised land. He is our promised land. He is our Sabbath. He is our fulfillment of everything. And his kingdom is where we realize that these things are... Um, well, we, we see the, the realization of these things in our lives. So it, you never detach it from Jesus, but um, yeah, that's up there just to, just to point out that uh, it's okay to look at the Old Testament. <laughs> All right, but rewind a second. Um, has anyone seen this before? The little thing on Facebook, people put it up, the tape and the pencil. Our children are ne will never know the link between the two. 
Did you ever do that as a kid? You took the pencil and re rewound the tape? Why didn't you just put it in the tape player and press rewind? I don't know. They jammed? That's some, that's some, that's some, gets strung out. Cut strung out from a, you guys, you guys had really bad tape machines. Yeah. Jeez. I looked down upon you. My tape machine was great. That's right. For a reason. No. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, rewind. Because you look at this, uh, at the passage, Joshua 1, and you go, okay, well, they're going to be strong. They're going to be courageous. They're going to enter into the promised land. That's pretty straightforward. Go from here to there. From the wilderness to the promised land. Go conquer Jericho and so on and so forth. And, um, but if you go back a few years to, um, well, let's go back to the call of Abraham, and we'll run through that very quickly. God promises to Abraham, your descendants are going to take this whole land, and it's going to be theirs, and they're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He has a son after he has Ishmael. He has another son named Isaac, and Isaac has another son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. You know, Judah and Reuben and Issachar and Simeon and all those guys. And they formed the 12 tribes of Israel. So things are, are okay, and they're still in the land. But then there's a famine. They have to go down to Egypt. And through a crazy series of events, they relocate their entire family into Egypt for 400 years. <laughs> and over those 400 years, the promise is sitting there sort of latent and probably not on their minds because they're building bricks. They're probably not thinking so much about this great promise of a land that they don't see and have probably never seen because they were born in Egypt and they die in Egypt. So that's where God comes in again after 400 years and says, I'm going to deliver you and I'm going to take you out of Egypt and eventually bring you into this promised land. So God delivers them, you know, from water being turned into blood to firstborn being killed. God brings them out of Egypt and to, into the desert. They're at the Red Sea. They've seen the power of God revealed for their deliverance completely before their eyes. Ten times, ten plagues that they can see. And then they're not in Egypt, so they can see we're not in Egypt anymore. There's a pillar of fire and cloud that they can go, okay, we see the glory of God. This is evidence that God is delivering us at the Red Sea. And then they go, oh, we can't go anywhere. We're at the Red Sea. We're stuck. The Egyptians are coming to pursue us. God opens the Red Sea up. They walk through on dry land. They get to the other side. The Egyptians come in. The water crashes down on them and destroys the army of Egypt. And they praise the Lord. So this is where their journey into the wilderness begins with manifest glory from God. And then within, I think, like a few weeks, they start to complain. Well, how are we going to get water out here? You know, he turned water into blood. I'm sure that he can find water for you in the desert. It's not impossible for the arm of God. But, oh, you know, this water's bitter. And on and on and on for 40 years. And this is the passage I read. I was reading through the Bible in February, and this passage just drove me to my knees. Um, I'm going to do some voices with it so you get, like, the, the feeling of the passage. No, I'm not going to do anything really gr grotesque or anything. Don't worry. Um, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. This is the, the spies who went into Canaan. They came back. Um, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. These are the 10 spies, okay? There were 12. These are the 10 who were, you know, yeah. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. We admit it. It flows with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Here's evidence that it is... An amazing land. But um, the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, which we don't know what that means. But it means big people. <clears throat> the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Amalekites were um, 
<laughs> the most hated enemy of ancient Israel. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the Kill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they have like a litany of the problems that they're going to face as they enter the promised land. You know, I think that the more fear you have, the more reasons you develop not to do the will of God. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He doesn't say, oh, uh, but that's a good concern there. We got to, you know, address that because there are the Canaanites and there are the Amalekites. I've noticed, though, that the Amalekites are really susceptible to attacks from the ground. And if we can use us, we should do it. Good for him. Just saying, let's not talk about every little detail of doing the will of God. Why don't we put our focus up there on God and see what he thinks? Because I'm betting that his ideas are a lot better than ours. But the men who had gone up with him said, oh, no, no, no. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Uh, And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Oh, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Okay. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. I don't know what the grasshoppers thing is, but grasshoppers are small. So they seem like grasshoppers, right? That's their logic. Do you see that there is logic at work there? That they're not crazy, illogical people. That they're not saying, we shouldn't do this because um, uh, I just don't feel good about it. No, they have a great deal of thought that they've put into this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Oh, and they're persuasive. They persuaded the rest of the group to get along with them and go, oh, yeah, this is just, yeah, not going to work. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses. Oh, and they're subversive. All of a sudden, the leadership's the problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, Moses, why did you do this? Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. And they're kind of pessimistic. (laughs) I wish we were all dead in Egypt. Great alternative. Or in this wilderness even. I would, I would take death in the wilderness. Just not this promised land. Why is the Lord, this is the first mention the spies make of the Lord. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? And their perception of the Lord is mm, kind of bleak. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? There's internal logic to what they're saying. There are reasons they give. Yeah, we don't want to die by doing this. We'd rather live. I mean, we're going to have our wives and children taken as plunder because God's going to, what's God going to do? He's going to save us from these people. They're huge. Look at the size of these people. They're going to destroy us. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Church split. Here we go. You know, that's the kind of spirit that you find in some people. Wrong direction, pastor. <laughs> now, this is this is the wrong. Uh, I'm stepping out of the Old Testament now into modern day Western Canada. Okay, Pastor, why are you going this way? The eldership, why? You know, we, no, no, we should use our resources this way. And then, you have church splits. You have um, division in the church. But let's look at the last slide of this. Then, no, 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 no. Yes. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And to think this doesn't wear on leadership, church leadership. Not so, I don't see it happening here in VEV, but I've seen it. I've been to a lot of churches. You think it doesn't wear on the leadership? They fall on their faces before God weekly. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, very valuable people, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. 
See how many mentions there are of the Lord in that? I mean, God can often be used as a um, leverage to get your way. You know, God told me that, you know, you, you know, you should give to this charity and it happens to be in my name. And, you know, God's often used to, to get what you want. But this isn't an example of that. They say, you know, this is a good land. God's going to give it to us. Let's just put faith in him. Let's not look at all of the reasons why we can't do something. There are always a thousand reasons not to do something. And the more fear you have and the more um, reticence you have, the more reasons multiply. You can, you can, you can find, uh, I think personally, that your mind follows your heart. Um, so if my heart is determined to sin, I'm going to find a lot of reasons to sin. And they'll, they'll sound ridiculous to someone whose heart is in a right, a good place, but they'll make sense to me. So if you have a heart to obey God, you'll find all the reasons why, yeah, this will work out. This will be good if I just take this step, do what he's called me to do. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to open up. That's, you know, that's a good place to be. So don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. God's promise that our enemies are going to scatter before us. If we're obedient to him, that's back in Deuteronomy 28. They're not just pulling this out of positive thinking. They're pulling this out of scripture. Like they're pulling this out of the word of God given to them. We obey God. It's going to work. So that's the, the uh, scriptural foundation that I've laid. And now we're going to look at um, a short video clip, a word from Alan Hirsch. Uh, and hopefully we'll get it to play with the sound and everything. So let's give it a shot. You maximize it, please. And then we have communitas, which is the final piece. Can you maximize communitas it, Communitas is please? a community formed in the context of an ordeal, a challenge, a, a task, a mission that requires each player to find each other in a new significant way to get the job done. Friends become comrades, team players. All movements that change the world seem to have a, a, a comradeship and a sense of each other's backs that we tend to lack in, in Western expressions of church. If you aim for ministry, you never get to mission, even if you intend to do it. However, if you aim at mission, you get ministry as well, because ministry is the means by which you do mission. If you organize and rally around the flag of mission, that is what we do outside of the church, in Jesus' name, you have to do ministry along the way, because ministry is the means by which you must do mission. In other words, you have to be loving, you have to be serving, you have to do it together in order to actually achieve your mission, because you're not going to achieve it otherwise. So, communitas takes place along the way of trying to do something that requires that we learn to love each other in a deep and more profound way as a group of brothers and sisters who rely on each other very deeply and are very disappointed when someone maybe doesn't fulfill their task within a given framework, because we really do need each other to survive. I do think that Christians are very risk-averse, and churches are very, very risk-averse. They are not places that you normally associate with adventure, or risk, or creativity. Because here's the deal, if you want to be creative, you have to risk failure. If you want to achieve something beyond the status quo, you have to get out of the status quo, which means you're not going to make everyone happy. But the problem is without that, you never go anywhere. And, and so we're stuck with the stifling status quo, which I think is what many churches are stuck in, because we've cultivated this kind of safety awareness, this middle-class obsession with safety and security. I'm afraid that that will kill us in the end. You know? A little bit of danger is good for us, a risk. It doesn't always have to be death-defying. Doing a job that pushes us out of our comfort zones is very good for us. I think that uh, in America, we self-identify as largely a middle-class society. And like I said, there's nothing evil about being middle-class, but one of the bad things about middle-class 
culture is its obsession, safety and security, comfort and convenience, right? There's no question about that. There's, that's, that's the bad side. It's this need to kind of secure the kids, you know. But when that becomes obsessive, it's dangerous to the gospel because it attenuates the gospel because the gospel calls that into question. So what we do is we kind of then, we have to resolve the tension and we usually do it in the name of the family. So the gospel becomes this kind of civil religion that really just affirms my lifestyle. So I, I think that what a middle-class America, therefore a middle-class church, easily co-opts Christianity to be the civil religion. And it's really the country club atmosphere, no threat. It's just nice, safe, it's just part of my world. It's my religious aspect of my world. But I don't experience adventure or journey or quest over there at all. But real adventure, real journey, real quest, where we're stakeholders in the outcome, where our bodies are on the line, yeah, I don't think so. It doesn't happen very often. It's good for us. If it doesn't kill you, you're going to make you a lot stronger. But it could kill you. Let's acknowledge that. But you don't have to be that far out where you, you know, it's like a death-defying, but I think you've got to put yourself out a little bit. But the wonderful thing is you'll learn and you'll find Jesus in new ways and you'll learn to trust God in new ways too. And let's see what God can do through us. So Alan Hirsch talks about a quest and maintaining the status quo. And I, I wonder how often we choose the status quo over the quest that God has given us. And I wonder often, too, how we define the quest, um, if we know what it is. Um, yeah, I'll move this back to where it's supposed to be. Clickety-clack. Whoa, Perfect. Thank you, PowerPoint. Fear is a four-letter word. Um, it's easy. Whoa, son of a... I mean... No, no. I'll put that one up. Do not fear. <laughs> you cheeky SOB. Okay. Fear is a four-letter word. Now, it's easy for me to sit up here and say, yeah, don't be afraid and... Go, go do all the work of the kingdom. You know, it's pretty easy for me to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people's biggest fear is public speaking. So <laughs> if it's easy for me, that means I probably overcame that fear. You know, I used to do evangelism on the streets and um, it doesn't come naturally. You know, how would that come naturally? Talking, talking to strange people you don't know. You just overcome your fear again and again until it becomes more natural. Um, it's about stepping out in, into uncomfortable places. I promise you that if you stay comfortable, nothing's going to change. All right. So, if you want it to change, son of a. I hate this PowerPoint. Hate is, a, hate is a strong word, and that's why I use it. Okay. So anyways, back then, possessing the land of Canaan, that was the goal. In the cities of the nations, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. So then go and destroy the Canaanites. Now, if there are any Canaanites here today, connect forms are available at the welcome table. Any Canaanites here? There's one! Get her! Kill her! Sorry. <laughs> That's not how to read the Bible. Um, just, just so you know. Uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the battlefield to the harvest field, what is the promised land for the New Testament church? Um... The answer is possessing the kingdom of God. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, he spoke this uh, to his disciples and to those who were following him in his earthly ministry. And I think 11 out of the 12 were martyred. Um, so it is definitely God's 
will and desire to give the kingdom to his children. It's not his desire necessarily to preserve their comfort. There's, it's very possible to prosper in the kingdom of God and be very uncomfortable and suffer and have pain and death. It's a bit counterintuitive, but the prosperity that comes in God is not the same prosperity that comes for the wealthy middle class in the United States or in Canada. It's not the same thing. Um, I'm not saying money's evil. If you have money, you can do great things with it. You can give it away. You can save people who are dying on the streets. You can do all kinds of things with it. So that's great. But hoarding wealth is not the kind of prosperity we're after. We're after the prosperity of the kingdom where people go forth in obedience and they give up their lives to see things changed, where they get uncomfortable purposefully so that things can change. Um, and it's not about being missionaries, about going to another country. Please understand that. We're in another country. Do, do you get what I'm saying? It's not about, oh, well, you know, go to Mozambique. Um, that's a bit of a paradigm that we've inherited from past generations, that the real people who give up their comfort and go and serve God are the missionaries who go to, you know, the... Um, Tanzania or Mozambique. Tanzania is actually a very nice country, <laughs> but that's not what it's about. You can get uncomfortable right now. It's very easy to get out of your comfort zone. Um, if you don't have any idea of like, well, how can I do that? I, I dare you to ask God. I dare you to pray a prayer where you say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do today? That's, you know, probably uncomfortable, but something that's really on your heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm betting he's going to give you a really clear answer. And I'm betting it's going to be hard to follow through with that because I've experienced it a number of times. Sometimes I follow through, sometimes I don't. When the people took the promised land, it's not like, oh, they just, oh, no problem. They took it. They just took Jericho. After Jericho was a defeat at AI. It's, it's just spelled AI, pronounced I, I guess. And uh, there was sin right from, the, right from the beginning. So taking the promised land and walking in faith, there's going to be a big mess. There's going to be a lot of sin and a lot of difficulty. But it's a posture of your heart where you go, yes, God, I'm going to obey you. Even if I screw up within 30 minutes, I'm still going to try and obey your will for my life, not my will for my life, your idea, not my good idea. So I'm going to trust in the Lord and lean not on my own understanding. The power of the gospel over the kingdom of darkness. This was taken from the Vineyard USA website. We believe that the whole world is under the domination of Satan and that all people are sinners by nature and choice. All people, therefore, are under God's just judgment. Through the preaching of the good news of Jesus and the kingdom of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, God regenerates, justifies, adopts, and sanctifies through Jesus by the Spirit all who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. By this, they are released from Satan's domain and enter into God's kingdom reign. If you want to see what a parallel is to the promised land of the Old Testament, this is the parallel. We are in God's kingdom and there is an enemy kingdom that dominates the rest of the world. You know, the last sermon I preached, which was about evangelism, which was brutalized in the, in the uh, um, quote department, um, by the way. I didn't say go out and evangelize. I didn't even say that. But that's what people got. So my point was that people are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, no matter if you're doing anything or not. So be very careful how you're doing it. Um, and the ambassadors thing, I'm picking up on that now for a reason, because we're in one kingdom and there's only in two kingdoms, another one that's under the power of Satan. We're ambassadors to an enemy kingdom. The people that are in this kingdom are blinded and they don't see it. They don't understand it. They can't. And when the light of Christ comes to them through us, the kingdom of God comes to them and is released. So the battle that we're fighting is not to destroy the Canaanites. Thank God for the Canaanites, you know. We're going to reach out to them and have a Canaanite potluck. The challenge that we have is to reach out to people through the gospel in Jesus' name, to preach the gospel, to see them come to Christ. And I, I know it's ridiculously simple. I don't want to give you something complicated. <laughs> so I'm going to read something from Gary Best. 
the current, uh, the Vineyard uh, National Team is sort of a consensus-driven group, but Gary's, uh, I think he's basically the leader. I mean, let's just call him the leader, even if he's not. Uh, having a healthy church, uh, I found this online as well, and I just want to read it so that I, you don't get the feeling that I'm here telling you, you know, you guys can come on. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. These are the words here of Gary Best about the whole vineyard movement, and I think it's very applicable to us, so this will take a few minutes. What is a healthy church? The answers we receive to this question will be as varied as the people to whom we ask the question. For some, health refers to the quality of relationships within the church, the wisdom and maturity of its leadership, and the emotional safety and stability of the community. So for one group, it's about safety and stability and maturity. Others will instead point to evidence of a healthy outward focus, resulting in assertive, passionate mission outside of their church community. Often one can feel a tension between these two definitions, one representing more of a missional pioneering mindset, the other reflecting more of a contemplative pastoral viewpoint. Reading histories of pioneers is always an exhilarating experience. Better than fiction, the stories of these raw adventurers provide a roller coaster ride of great accomplishment won at great cost. Part of the reason for this contrast is that pioneers are themselves seldom balanced, healthy people. On the contrary, they are usually quite driven and compelled, and they walk a fragile line between brilliance and brokenness. And they usually get under people's skin quite a lot. To some degree, these are the kinds of people who establish new church movements and dare to plant new local church communities. The very fact that they are out of balance is at least partially what gives them the courage and momentum to step forward against the odds. Before we too quickly prepare to criticize them, however, we must recognize and appreciate the new vistas that have been opened to us because of their willingness to pursue endeavors that conventional wisdom would have pronounced ill-advised and for which they were mostly unprepared. It is always easy to second-guess the choices of the first man in the jungle with a machete. Hindsight is always 20-20. Nevertheless, the trail exists and can be improved upon because that man or woman was willing to start swinging before the odds of success or failure were able to be calculated. There's more to this, but I want to pause. That is the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. They didn't, and Han Solo as well. Never tell me the odds. Just go obey God, swing the machete, fight the empire, go into the asteroid belt, It's, you know, there's a lot of mixed metaphors here, okay? Give me a break. You know, there's a lot that goes on in here. It's all mixed up. But um, go swing the machete, you know? And and we always look at people, you know, these amazing men and women of God from the past, and we go, wow, they sure knew what they were doing. They really stepped out. And, you know, William Wilberforce and William Carey, and um, they're all named William, too. Um, who started, William Booth, Salvation Army. So name your children William. But uh, we look at them and go, wow, they had some amazing vision and, and passion. And, you know, they were criticized. <laughs> People didn't understand them. They thought, well, why are you going to India? You know, why are you, why are you going on the streets? You know, D.L. Moody. What, like, what? They were doing something that was out of the norm. And that's why we respect them now because we see hindsight's twenty twenty, But... If you're one of those people, don't expect everyone to pat you on the back. Yet at the same time, all of us have seen or experienced the negative fallout of just such a pioneering leader resisting the transition to greater stability and balance along the journey. Now, this is a caution for pioneers. Eventually, if not for the leader, then certainly for their followers, the adrenaline runs out, and the trailblazing community reaches a point where they feel that the price of progress has been too great for too long and there is a rebound toward predictability and stability, often at the cost of any further visionary language or initiative. Now remember, he's writing this for all of the vineyard churches in Canada, and he's in charge in a way. So he sees things that, I mean, some of us might not see, but pay attention to what he's saying. In the last few years, there have been increasing questions about the wisdom of some of this sacrifice and zeal. 
John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, used to teach about the inevitability of this shift using the illustration of pioneers and settlers. A good, a good uh, analogy, I think, for church planting and church growth, settling and pioneering. Where once our conversation centered almost exclusively on vision, we now hear more about discussions of health. For those of us who are getting older, our church dialogues are mirroring our obsessions of our own physical condition. And I think that's very insightful, actually. <laughs> As people who are younger in their 20s and 30s, pressing forward, I'm trying new things, and then they get into their 50s and 60s, the mindset naturally changes. It's not something, oh, no, terrible you, but uh, there needs to be a solid balance between youthful energy and pioneering and you know, the wisdom of older generations. If it's just one or the other, just, you know, if it's one or the other, choose pioneering. <laughs> I'm just going to be blunt. If it's one or the other, choose pioneering because, yeah, those pioneers are going to go make mistakes, but at least they're pioneering. If you choose just settling and just going, okay, well, let's how, how do we maintain, you know, health of the maturity? And it's just, you, you just drain life out of the church, I think. That's my two cents. Yet, and this too must be said, however carefully, as important and wise as these corrections are, if they supplant and eliminate the visionary zeal that originally gave life to our very movement, then in an eternal sense, they will not turn out to be as healthy as we think. So the, the drive towards healthiness and being a happy church that everything works out, um, that can be very destructive. You just said what I said in a way. We can be successful in achieving wonderfully well-ordered personal and community environments, meticulously provide for replenishment and self-care and spiritual formation, and yet lose the dynamic life that only an actualized sense of purpose and vision can bring. Of course, my point is simply to say yes to both perspectives. Both vision and wisdom have critically important roles to play in our call to follow Jesus, but they must operate together. At first glance, finding this rhythm may seem to be a daunting task. Classic visionaries are compulsive people who naturally resist the restraint of calls to balance or self-care. They love the wide-open spaces. They love discovering the site upon which to place their town. Once town government is established and the pressing issues have to be you know, dealt with, like street lights and bylaws, they long for the Wild West again. Those are the pioneers. The townspeople that arrive later, on the other hand, often resist and or try to control any future explorers that arise, trying to delay their adventures until they have suitably prepared by submitting all the proper procedures, meaning they will never be deemed ready. Uh, one more paragraph. What is my hope? It is that we will embrace the rhythm of vision and wisdom working harmoniously together in the journey of pursuing our kingdom partnership with God. On the one hand, helping one another finish the difficult, finish the different races God has given to us to run, while on the other hand, preserving the possibility of another John Wimber or Jackie Pullinger rising up within us without being neutralized with cautions. For this forward-looking, healthy balance to be achieved in every individual is, of course, a challenging dream. For it to be realized in us as a community is much more possible if we continue to pursue it. I know that was long, um, but I, I want to hide behind Gary Best. I don't want to come here and say, yeah, this is what we need. But if he's seeing this in the Vineyard Church, if he's seeing this as something necessary to speak out and say, Vineyard Canada, we're settling too much. We're, we're not going forward enough. We need to preserve that, and he's being very polite about it. He is Canadian, after all. Let's, let's grab a hold of what he's saying a little bit. We're part of this. Gordy's involved in the national team. We're not very far removed. We, we're directly involved. So I want to know, um, you know, I want to say, if you have a pioneering spirit, let it grow. If you don't, okay. There's, I mean, there's, there's no reason. I don't want to be, you know... I'm not going to be here for two months. In two months, I'll be gone, so I will be rude. There's no reason to waste our resources on the unmotivated. So there, that's, I mean, there's no reason to try and motivate the unmotivated either, I don't think. But if you are motivated, if you are pioneering, if you want to change things, if you want to step forward and do things, the, Gordy is very responsive to that. If you go, yeah, I want, to, I want to do this, I want to do that, sure. You know, I just come to him and I say, I want to do a men's retreat. He's like, go for it. That's great. You know, if you can do that, go for it. You know, if you, if you are motivated, if you want to step forward, there is room. There is a lot of room, and it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much at all. 
Um, but Dawson, aren't you moving to Ontario? Yeah, and this is the why I put this up here because I, I, it's a classic misunderstanding to go, oh, well, he's preaching. That means he's going to go do everything for us. I'm not. I am not going to be doing everything for you. Yes, I'm passionate and motivated, and I want to see the church grow, and I believe in you, but that doesn't mean that I, I, I'm essential. I'm not. I'm not essential to this church. I mean, I'm, God is essential to the church. I think you'll be fine without me, you know? And the comparison to, you know, the promised land map with the Ontario map, there's no intentional, <laughs> you know, uh, comparison to that at all. Um, you know, Lake Superior looks like a hand puppet too. I don't know. So, but we'll, anyways, we'll be headed there um, in about two months. And yeah, I'm sure that there'll be stuff there for, uh, for us from God too. So my point is we walk together no matter where we are. And no, so I'll transition into from feeding to leading here. And I will be gone soon, but I'm not going to miss the opportunity to say what I think you need to hear. So and the steps we're taking together, we already mentioned small groups. Laying the foundation of discipleship, reaching in and reaching out, gathering in the leftovers. We had a prophetic word on our prayer night about leftovers. And I, I pondered it a little bit, and I think it's, it's very helpful. There are people sort of on the fringe of the church. And if we're going to be reaching out, like here, you know, you're not going to be like, hey, you, you've been to the church before. Do you want to come back to a Sunday morning service? Like, no, I've been to the Sunday morning service. <laughs> so I have a small group and invite people into that, gathering in those people who are sort of on the fringe. Uh, I said a lot of that during the MC portion, so I'm not going to waste any, time, any more time on that. Um, this is something I'm very excited about. And one of my biggest regrets is not um, gonna, I'm not going to be able to be involved in this. Um, the SEEK course is kind of like an alpha course. If you've heard of an alpha course, anyone heard of an alpha course? Kenny's heard of an alpha course. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Everyone's heard of an alpha course. It's very much like that. Um, but uh, in Boston, where this was developed, the church, uh, Vineyard Church there was uh, running alpha groups. And Boston is home to Harvard University as well as MIT. So there are a lot of very, very, very well-educated people in the Boston area. I mean, Boston's a big city, so not everybody. But um, So he would have people with PhDs from these universities come to the Alpha Group. And at one point in running these courses, someone said to him, because I guess Alpha's more um, reason approach, you know, like, propositional argument approach. Um, it, the guy said, well, why are you trying to argue with me? I have a PhD. I can turn you into a pretzel in five minutes. So I just want to know if God exists. And if God exists, how can I you know, interact with this being? So the leader of the group said, okay, um, this is a very solid challenge. So they developed the SEEK course out of this. Now, I've watched, I ordered the DVDs and I've watched them all. Um, and they're amazing. The teaching's very, very good. It's experience based. So he says, you know, this happened to me. I, uh, here's my testimony or whatever. And here, this is how prayer works. This is how the Bible works. This is how, why there's suffering. This is why there are demons. Like he, he goes on everything. Um, and he's not shy, but he's not offensive. And he doesn't use, uh, a lot of overly Christian language too. So it's very, very accessible to people. Um, I'll take th three minutes here and explain what it, what it looks like. It's a 10 week course where people who don't know Jesus come. If you're a Christian, it's not for you. So if people, if you don't know Jesus, this is for you. Or if you were raised in the church and you said, I reject that. I want nothing to do with that. But for some reason, it's a point in your life where you go, okay, I, I need some help here. And this is, you know, and you feel like you need to be there, then that's for you too. But it's not for young Christians or old Christians or any Christians. It's for non-Christians. Um, I'll, I'll give you the, an example of a good candidate for it. Uh, Leona and I were praying the other night, like really praying, not just, you know, thank you, Lord. It's been a good day. Let's watch TV. Not, not like that. I mean, <laughs> we pray that way often. But we were really praying. There was a real issue. We were really praying. Um, and then something totally unrelated to it happened in the middle of it. I got a phone call from a guy I haven't talked to in 10 years, uh, an agnostic, um, atheist, really. Um, I met him in college, and he did a lot of philosophy. And so he, he was an indifferent agnostic, didn't care, but loved to debate and discuss. 
So uh, he calls me after like 10 years, and we're talking for a bit, and I say, so why did you call? Like, you know, we haven't talked to you for so long. He said, well, do you really want to know? I'm like, yeah, I really want to know. He says, well, I heard the audible voice of God. I said, oh, <laughs> okay, well, um, what happened? He said, well, I had a dream, and I woke up, and God said to me, and now you understand. And I said, okay, you know, let's talk about this a bit more. And he, he said, well, I'm not an agnostic anymore. I mean, I believe in God because that happened to me. But uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to come to your church or anything like that. But I called you because I know you're a sensible, reasonable Christian. I wanted to talk to you about this. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's talk. And I said, why don't we go out for a, a beverage? And uh, he said, sure, yeah, so we'll do that eventually. But... Uh, I mentioned the seek course to him. I said, you know, don't answer me right now, but I explained to him what it was, and he was definitely not reluctant to go. So there are people in our circles, this is a person in my circle, who's, you know, is very open to this. You'd be surprised. At, you know, you put it out there, and someone goes, yeah, actually, I totally would like to go to that because, you know, you have a meal, and it's, you're not outnumbered. You have, like, eight Christians, to, eight non-Christians to two Christians, and, it can, you know, it's at someone's house. It's not in a church. Yeah, I, I'd be into that because I, I do have questions. You know, I would like a place where I can ask them instead of just trying to figure them out, like on the internet. Like I don't, I, I would like that. I have a community where I can do that, and you, you'd be surprised. People would, are into it. It does work. It operates all over the U.S. and Canada. It's not like I'm thinking of a new thing here. It's been going for a while. Same with Alpha. Um, but yeah, it goes for ten weeks, and uh, then there's one day around the seventh week where they have a Holy Spirit day. And the people who can come to that, you, they're ready to listen to teaching about the Holy Spirit, and then you pray for them, and God shows up. So God is at work in the midst of this. So that's the seek course. If you have any questions about that later, just come to me. I really regret not being able to be involved in that. But I encourage you, if you have a solid grasp on Scripture and you have a passion for people, if you don't have a solid grasp on Scripture and you don't have a passion for people, you really need to get those two things. <laughs> You're in a church. Come on, get those things. You know, but if you do have those things already, you know, think about getting involved with it. Peter and Jessica are already on board, and uh, that's going to be awesome. So anyways, blah, 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 blah. Next one. Stop! We got some Korean on the board here. See? Jangchi, I think. Jangchi? Is that right? Korean, right? Yeah, Changchi. VEV is already an incredibly healthy church. Now, like, I was afraid that I'm going to get up here and say, oh, you know, Gary Best says that you guys are a bunch of losers, and <laughs> he doesn't say that, but I was afraid it would be interpreted that way, so I wanted to stop right now and say, I have never been to a healthier church. The people here, are you are amazing, amazing people. The talent pool here is awesome. The engagement with the material that people present from, from sermons is awesome. The volunteer ratio is really high. People get involved and they take ownership of the tasks of the church. You know, renovating and repainting this place. You're a great church. We're a great church. We got it together on a lot of levels. This sermon is more about taking ownership of the vision of the church and taking vision as a discipleship community of where you want to go. Lifting your eyes up a little bit and going, oh, there are possibilities outside of this sanctuary and outside of Chili Wagon. You know, and it would, you know, the, the main initiatives should be done by people other than those having the name of Gordy. You know, the Gorgi Bosch. <laughs> you know, so push forward. But you are a wonderful, wonderful, healthy church. With, with different people represented, you know, different races, different classes, different blah, blah, blah. It's wonderful. And uh, I'll be bragging about you guys in Ontario for sure. I'll be telling stories about you. It's not all flattering, but mostly flattering. <laughs> I, I'm just looking forward to that. <laughs> you are a weird church. You do have some idiosyncrasies, like me. So maintaining what we already have. Another flaw in the human character is that everybody wants to build and nobody wants to do maintenance. That's Kurt Vonnegut. Um, but you do. You maintain. You guys volunteer so much and maintain what's going on here. So well done. Well done. And don't worry. It's almost over. I know it's sort of a, a docile morning, but this is a big, 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 big point. 
I know there are people here from VSV, and that was a church plant that closed down. And there are wounds from that. There have to be wounds from that. I know that there was a church plant in North Van that didn't fly. Um, and I'm sure there are wounds from that, old wounds. I mean, it was a long time ago, but the past isn't past. It, 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 it stays with you. But I don't want that to be um, too discouraging. Church planning is something that um, is core to the spread of the gospel, and it's core to the Vineyard Church, too. Um, I don't want to say a lot about it, but I see some amazing people here that are able to plant churches. And I would love to see that happen. I'd love to see people go, yeah, I'm not doing what I want to do right now, or I'm not able to to whatever, or I've been stuck for a while, or just, you know, but I really have a passion for this. For some of you really, I'm, I'm believing, I know some of you pretty well, you have a passion for the kingdom in you, and you're capable of planning a church, and if you are, and you're into that, and you're like, yes, I want to do that in the downtown east side, or in lower post, or wherever, I mean, that is an open door. That is an open door. So talk to Gordy. Um, and he will be more than happy to say, yeah, okay, well, let's build a team and try and do this. And, you know, I'm sure that he has some questions too from, from past experiences, but God, if we're going to let our failures dictate who we are today, then we're not, we're not really much of a, of a people. Like we can't let the wilderness become who we are. We should let the promised land, the future, the promise become who we are. Envision something that is not yet and go for it. You can't, without vision, the people perish. The people go around unrestrained. So have vision, the vision of God. And I believe some of the things that I've talked about, you know, the kingdom of God, these are just practical steps. They can look a whole lot different, especially in a different geography. But the vision of God, the kingdom of God, envision it. Go, how does this look? And then step into that reality. That's what faith is about. That's what possibility is about. That's what opportunity is about. And there are more opportunities available to you to to you right now than you realize. Some of you realize it pretty well, but I can just read one scripture, I think, and then uh, and then pray. Sorry that it wasn't that funny, but I don't really care. So Matthew, uh, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Father, I pray that you would send out workers into your harvest field. From here, from this room, and from those who are not here today, Lord, I love this church. I love the people here. I love their heart, communally and their hearts individually. Lord, I, I, all I can do is present this material, and you control the rest. You water the seed, Lord. I pray, Father, for church planters to rise up. I pray for a vision to be regained. I pray for discouragement to be wiped away, for fear to be obliterated, for grace to cover a multitude of sins. I ask, Lord, for faith, a new understanding of what reality is, a new understanding of who God is, and that you would show yourself powerful, show yourself faithful to this church that you have put here and that you love but I pray that each person here who has the lead role in their own life will begin to step forward and play the part. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I just would like to share the heart of God with you. Um, God is so cool. He gave me this word last week, but there was no opportunity to give it. And the amazing thing is how well it fits with this week. <laughs> so that's the heart of God. So he, Dawson showed the cassette tape 
cassette tape has a purpose. When the tape is out, it can't serve as purpose. The church is the same. And we have a purpose. There is a heart of God in it. And so um, what happens in our church is mirrored in society. Now, I'd like to show you what I mean. I'd like to explain what I mean. So I'm a special education teacher. And within special education, um, within education, some very significant things have taken place. So first of all, you had total segregation of anybody who didn't fit. So uh, somebody like Veronica, I have Veronica's permission to use her as an example. Someone like Veronica would not be even allowed to go to school. She would be put in an institution, and she would never be educated. First Nations children were also segregated. They were residential schools. And somewhere in the late 60s, parents began to push against that and say, this is not right. And in the 70s, a movement came, and residential schools started closing. And children who were institutionalized, they, parents were saying, my children has the cognitive ability to learn. You just have to find a way to do it. So they began to include them in classes but only integrate them, not true inclusion. So the children were allowed in, but they breathed the same air. And they just basically sat there, and they weren't really a part of the whole. In the last 10 years, a major shift in special education has taken place, and it's full inclusion. So not only are children in the classroom, but great modifications and adaption are taking place in the curriculum so that they can learn as well. The church. Let's look at the church. In that same time frame, we had total segregation. We had Christians killing Christians. In Ireland, in Africa, the Crusades, we had complete segregation. And then in the 70s, we have an absolute switch, and there is now an evangelical move, and Christians are learning to politely tolerate each other. And through that move, Ireland has gone through a major shift. Parts of Africa have gone major, sh major shift. Big repentance is taking place around the world where churches have been so divided. And we are a greater church now. We are more of a Catholic, small c, unified church. So now we have inclusion. And our church is an inclusion church. Inclusion is the heart of God. And that heart of God is when not only do we allow people to come into our midst that we're uncomfortable with because segregation is all fear-based, we open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our homes, we open our time, and we welcome, and we choose to engage in relationship. We make friends with Veronica. We take our lives and we give our lives to the people of lower post for the love of Christ, for the love of humanity. We do this. That is the heart of God. That's the heartbeat of God. And Veronica's smiling. Yes, that is the heart of God, that inclusion and saying, I love you just because you're a human being. I love you. And so everyone is welcome here. And we see that every Tuesday night when we feed people in the park. The neighbors don't understand that. But we understand the heart of God. And God says, well down, my faithful servants. We are in the heart of God. We are in a healthy place. And God is saying, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for hearing the heart of God and including and loving all of his people, no matter what. Uh, well, thank you. So in a couple of minutes, we're definitely over time. We're going to go get some kids and uh, have fun and stuff. But uh, I want to give myself like a little corrective here um, so that maybe it's a little bit clearer. If there's a... Uh, a sickness in a human body, say uh, from a vitamin deficiency. I don't know. What's a vitamin? I don't know. What's a, what's a sickness caused by vitamin deficiency? Scurvy. Yeah, vitamin C, right? So say you have scurvy. Arr, and um, and you, you, you can't recover without vitamin C. I'm looking at the church 
worldwide, or the church in Vancouver and the city of Vancouver, like it having scurvy, okay? And I'm saying, when I'm talking about you guys going forward into the promised land, I'm saying you're the vitamin C. What is happening here in the church in this little community is incredibly valuable. We had a, a sermon on Easter Sunday about the Truth and Reconciliation Com- Commission. That is incredibly abnormal, and it's necessary for a corrective to the body at large, to society at large. And I want the goal of this sermon has not been to be discouraging, and I, I feel a bit, you know, placated today, or not placated, but just yeah, docile. This is a very quiet, gray, gray sky morning, but I don't want it to be depressing or down. I'm saying that you are amazing and that you have an amazing gift to offer. And you, I believe in you. I, I, I do. And I hope that, uh, I hope that you're encouraged by this and not like, oh no, we gotta, he doesn't like us. No, I love you. I think you're great. Okay. Does, does everyone hear that? Like, I love you guys. Everyone, everyone hear that? Is everyone awake? No. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Shh, snooze. Okay. Well, maybe someone could come up and pray and then we'll go get our kids. Wants to come pray. Yeah, come pray and then we'll get our kids. Uh, I just want to thank you for a really good word and uh, God speaking through you today. Lord, I just want to pray for Dawson and just thank you for him. His heart for you and his heart for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, wherever you take him, whatever you've called him to, that he would continue to carry your heart for your people in the kingdom. And we just bless him in all that he's called to do for you. We bless his family. I know, Lord, that you're with him, and you are going to continue to move through him and extend your kingdom. So I just bless this man of God. And Father, just thank you for today, that this day we've heard your word, you've spoken to our hearts, and we receive it. And we receive the man you spoke it through to us through. And now we ask you for the reward, the prophet's reward that we'd go and do what you want us to do and be part of uh, growing in the kingdom of God and extending your kingdom. So we ask you to send out workers into your harvest field. Help us to continue to do that. Use us this week. Give us opportunities. Give you our eyes and our ears. And we're waiting on you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness every day in our lives. How much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Let's go get our-